It's a true story that I read some time ago in the Naval Institute magazine, and they published this story. And it's a story about a battleship that was maneuvering its way on a very dark and foggy night. The light coordinator reported to the captain that the ship seemed to be heading on a collision course with another vessel. And the captain gave the order. He said, signal the other ship and tell them that they must, to avoid collision, change course 20 degrees. Well, the return signal came back and says, it is advisable that you change course 20 degrees. The captain said, look, tell them I am captain so-and-so of the X, Y, and Z battleship. You change course 20 degrees came the response. Well, I am seaman second class, so-and-so, and and you must change course 20 degrees. By that time, the captain was furious, and he said, who does this second class seaman think he is? How dare he talk to a captain that way? And he yelled at his signalman, and he said to him, he said, send this message. I am a battleship, and I'm ordering you to change course 20 degrees. Then came the response, I can't change course. I am a lighthouse. (laughs) And my beloved friends, for the past 2,000 years, ever since the Lord Jesus Christ declared himself as God's Messiah, as the light of the world, humanity has been defying has been denying and has been demanding and screaming that he needs to change course. Sadly, those who are denying and refusing God's Messiah are on a collision course on that great day of judgment. In John chapter 8, verse 12, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to it. John chapter 8. There, Jesus declared himself to be the light of the world. But there's something very important about the timing of this. When he declared himself to be the light of the world, it was a celebration of the Feast of Tabernacle. God's people were celebrating the day where they remembered how God protected them, how God guided them by a pillar of fire in the wilderness to take them all the way until they got safely into the promised land. Now, we commenced a series entitled, There is an I in the I Am. And in the last message, we saw the first declaration when Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And the reason he used the word I am, in order to remind them that he is the same one who appeared to Moses at the burning bush. You remember when Moses said to him when he commissioned him to go and get his people out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And he said, who do I tell them sent me? He said, go and tell them I am sent you. And Jesus was trying to explain to his people that he is the same I am, the pre-incarnate Christ who appeared to Moses in the burning bush. He is the one who told Moses to go and tell the people of Israel that my name is I am. And we saw in the last message how I am provided for His people from heaven, manna, food to sustain them physically in the wilderness. And now Jesus is saying, 
I am the bread of life. I am the one, the only one, who can provide you eternal life. While the manna from heaven sustained them physically, the manna of God, Jesus himself, the Son of God, is spiritually sustaining them, spiritually guiding them, and spiritually take them all the way to heaven. And here in chapter 8, he tells them, I am the light of the world. Four simple words in which Jesus is telling us that he is the divine light of Yahweh in human flesh, that he is the source of all light to all of humanity at all times, that he is the only one who can banish the darkness of sin and guilt and shame, that he's the only one who can banish the darkness of death and the grave, that he's the only one who can banish the darkness of addiction and slavery to sin. Therefore, everyone, everywhere needs to turn to him to avoid the judgment day, to avoid the collision course, must turn to the light of the world. But also Jesus was reminding him of something else. He was reminding them of the fact that when they were in the land of slavery in Egypt, God, in order to teach Pharaoh a lesson, he kept on sending one plague after another, ten of them, one plague after another. And while the Egyptians were plagued by those plagues, the people of God were protected. The people of God were watched over. And the ninth plague, number nine plague, was that of darkness. It got so dark in the land of Egypt that they couldn't see each other. It was so dark they couldn't even see their hands in front of them. And so the only thing they could do is to sit in place for three days in utter darkness. At the same time, God's light was shining in the community of God where the people of God were living. And I'm telling you now, as it gets darker outside, the community of God, the children of the living God, must shine brighter than ever before. Not only that the pre-incarnate Messiah provided them and guided them all the way to the promised land, but he protected them. In the middle of the darkness of Egypt, he protected them with light. Those of us who have experienced Jesus, the light of the world, who have come to him and believed in him and put our trust in him as our only Savior and Lord, cannot avoid but see and, and observe how darkness is engulfing our culture how darkness is engulfing our society, how darkness is engulfing the world. The forces of darkness seem to be gathering with such speed, the forces of darkness that normally would fight with each other, and they almost kill each other. Now, for some reason, they are united together against the Messiah and His anointed children. It is my personal opinion that the evil one, Satan, is sensing his time to be thrown into the lake of fire, is drawing nigh. And he's, as he senses that is happening, he is now stirring up all of the forces of evil, all of the forces of darkness against the believers. But here's the good news. <laughs> the gospel is all about good news. Here's the good news. Satan could never, 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 never harm those who belong to Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you more about that in the next message. And that is why I often appeal to anyone who would listen to come while yet there's a chance. Come to the light of the world before it's too late. Come to Him now. Don't wait until it's too late. Come to Him. Come to the God's anointed Messiah 
even Jesus the Christ, before the day of judgment. Turn to the light of the world before complete darkness engulf you. Turn to the light of the world, the only light of the world, who can save you now and eternally. Come to the only powerhouse who can redeem you. Come to the powerful light who can pluck you out of the muddle of life in which you're in. Change course now before it's too late. Change course. Change course. Come to Him, and He will bring you to a safe harbor. John's Gospel, in chapter 1, verse 9, John the Baptist said, The true light that gives light to every man was come into the world. That was his testimony. And yet many rejected the light and preferred to stay in the darkness of sin and rejection of God's plan. Every time I think about those who are rejecting the light of the world, those who are rejecting Jesus, and those who are not receiving Him as the light of the world to light their life, I always think of this story about the better one in the Middle East. You know, this better one in the tent woke up in the middle of the night, and he was hungry. So what does he do? He lights a candle, and he goes in and grab a bowl of dates that he has there by his mat and start eating. So he takes a bite from the first date, and then he puts it near the candle light, and he sees this worm just wiggling in the, inside the date. So he tossed it out. He goes, reaches for a second date, takes a bite from it, puts it near the candlelight, sees that wiggly worm, he tosses it out. He did that with the third and the fourth. What would he do? He's hungry. The dates are filled with worm. What would he do? So he decided that he will blow out the light of the candle and eat the dates, worm and all, worm and all. Beloved, today there are many people who are rejecting the light of the world, the only light who could save them. Today there are so many people who are blowing out the candle light and eating the world's worms. There are so many people who are ignoring the light of the world, the only one who can forgive their sins and redeem them and forever take them to heaven, turning away from the only light of the world who can truly assure them of heaven here and now. And that is why you and I must never grow weary. We must never grow weary of lovingly, lovingly, lovingly tell people about the light of the world. Come to Jesus, the light of the world. Not to fear Jesus. How can you fear light? To embrace Jesus, the light of the world. To confess your sin to Jesus, the only one who is the light of the world. He's the only one who can forgive you and redeem you and change you and assure you of eternity here and now, for He is the light of the world. In fact, Dr. Luke said in chapter 1, verses 78 and 79, because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet, into the path of peace. Jesus said, I am. You know, by definition, light does two things. Light radiates energy, and light shows the way clearly. Its rays break through the ether, and its effect renders the invisible to be visible. That's the purpose of light. And when Jesus said, I am the light of the world, 
whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life here and forever. As I said today, we're facing the darkness of moral relativism. We are facing the darkness of biblical relativism that's preached in many a church today. We are facing the darkness of sexual relativism and perversion and pornographic addiction and the rest of it. Today, we are facing the darkness of a devalued life, both outside of the womb and inside the womb. And in the midst of this engulfing darkness, we hear the voice of Jesus, the Messiah, saying what? In fact, if you read a little earlier, in that same chapter, just go up, verses 1 to 11, you read the story of how these self-righteous Pharisees, they were coming to Jesus with big stones in their hands, and a woman who was caught in adultery, and they're ready to stone her to death. I often wonder, why just the woman? Where's the man? You can't commit adultery by yourself. They came to test Jesus. Moses said she must be stoned. What do you say? I mean, they already stoned him. <laughs> Should we stone her? Jesus didn't answer them, by the way. You know what he said? He didn't say anything. He just sat on the ground, and he started writing. The Bible doesn't tell us what Jesus wrote. And I have a hunch, a big hunch, that he was writing the sins the hidden sins, the secret sins of these hypocrites. He was writing them down. Moshe, Shmuel, he was writing their sins on the ground. Were you surprised to see when they looked at this? Ooh, throw the stone, walk away. (laughs) And they started walking away, one after another, one after another, because Jesus said now, after he wrote what he wrote on the ground, he said, now, those of you who are without sin, you throw the first one. They're not going to throw any stones. Why? The light of the world exposed their sin. And they went about to stone this woman. But here's an important thing that I don't want you to miss. Jesus turned to the woman. And he said to her, Go now and leave your life of sin. He said, Anybody condemning you? No. They're all gone. He said, I'm not going to condemn you either. I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to forgive you. These self-righteous sinners stayed in darkness and kept their sins secret in the darkness of their hearts. And yet this woman, whose sin been exposed to the light of the world, was justified. She was forgiven by the light of the world. The one thing that you need to know about the light of the world, Jesus, is that He's filled with grace. He's filled with grace. Oh, no, no, no. He's not winking at sin. He's not ignoring sin. He's not soft in sin. He died for that sin. He's not rationalizing sin. He forgives a confessed sin. He redeems every sin that is confessed to him because he knows it anyway. And that woman went home forgiven, justified, set free. Listen to me. Because there is a false perception about Christians in society at large. Some people think that these are the bunch of goody-goodies who think they're better than everybody else. And, you know, these are the holy ones. No, 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 no. The only thing difference between Christians and non-Christians is that Christians confess their sin. 
They confessed it. They agreed with God, and they said, yes, I have sinned. Come and forgive me. And now they receive the light of the world. Now, those who are in a collision course with the lighthouse of God are those who think they are good, those who think that they don't need forgiveness, those who think they don't need to confess, those who think that their good is going to outweigh their bad and they'll be all right. Himirat, please, this is important. After you come to Jesus and receive Him as the Savior of your life, after you receive His forgiveness from His hand, you cannot go back and live in darkness. It's an impossibility. This woman could not habitually sin after her forgiveness. Now that she has received the light of the world in her heart, now that her sin has been exposed to the light and forgiven and and washed by the blood of the Lamb, now that the darkness of her sin has been banished by the light of the world, she could not habitually sin again. Listen to me. When the light of the world, Jesus, comes into your life, habitual sin goes out. When the light of the world, Jesus, comes into your life, the darkness of sin has to vanish. When the light of the world, Jesus, comes into your life, routine sin is no longer committed thoughtlessly. When the light of the world, Jesus, comes into your life, darkness cannot stay there for very long. So the question is, what does that mean? That means Christians become perfect? Does it mean Christians become sinless? Absolutely not. Not at all. But here's what it means. Listen carefully. When we are tempted and fall in the dark pit of sin, Jesus immediately shines His light and snatches us out of the pit and picks us up and brings us back to the light. The moment we fail and cry to Jesus, Jesus says, get up, go, don't stay in the darkness of sin. For Jesus said, I am what? I often say there's nothing more frightening than being lost in the darkness. It really is. And I meet people all the time who are living in fear. And they're groping. They're groping. They have fear of sin, the fear of death. They fear, they fear all sorts of things. Groping in the darkness. And that always reminds me of something happened to me back in 1981. I was giving a series of speaking engagements in Switzerland. My host said, look, stay in my chalet. It's in the Dejou Mountains, up very high near the French border. He said, stay in my chalet. And I was staying there by myself. And it was summertime. So I was coming and going. I lecture and finish teaching and come back. And it's still light outside. Until one night... I was delayed. After I spoke, lectured, and some people wanted to talk to me. And it was dark. Utter darkness. I cannot explain it to you unless you've seen it. This thing is way up there in the mountains. And the road is so narrow, barely one car can go by, but sometimes you get two cars. And here I'm going around and around and around, giving my sense of direction, as so many of you know. (laughs) Added to the darkness... And for two hours, I kept going. I kept going. And finally, I said, Lord, you've got to help me. I'm about to run out of gas. (laughs) I had forgotten that I left some lights inside. I'm very frugal. I'm always turning lights off, (laughs) even when I'm a guest in somebody else's house. (laughs) But this time, I left some of the lights on. I've never been more happy that I left the lights on. 
and I kept driving, following that faint light until I got home. You better believe I gave a prayer of thanks. It was a shout of thanks. (laughs) It's frightening to be lost in the darkness, and it happens spiritually. The reason people fear death, the reason people fear life, the reason people fear all kinds of stuff is because they are living in darkness. Sometimes they know it, sometimes they don't know it. There may be somebody here today who's running away from the light of the world. Oh, you might be a churchman or churchwoman. You might be a religious person. Uh, You might even think that you're a good person. You haven't done anything really big wrong. I mean, you're okay, and your good is going to outweigh your bad. And some of you don't want to give up the darkness of sin in your life. Don't want to submit to the Lordship of Jesus. Some of you might be terrified as you grow up in darkness, and you don't know how to get out of this. Today you can. Jesus said what? And this is the good news of the gospel. Oh, it's a gospel of good news. That's what the Christian faith is all about. It is good news. And this is the good news. Jesus can shine his light and set you free. Jesus, the light of the world, is shining his light to every corner of your life and saying, come to me. Don't stumble in the darkness. Beloved, I know there are some people who know Jesus. You know him. But you're not about to give up your secret sin, whatever it may be. You don't want the light of the world, Jesus, to shine in every part of your life. Beloved, I want you to remember this. When the living beam of the light of Christ come into every corner of your heart and your mind and your life, it's going to liberate you and set you free. It's not there to condemn you. It's not there to shame you. Just like he did with that woman. Anybody condemn you? No, neither do I. Go sin no more. You know, Alexander the Great, was a regent of Macedonia at the age of 16. He became a victorious general at the age of 18. He became a king at the age of 20. He died before he turned 33, after he conquered the known world at the time. But his father also, Philip of Macedon, was a military genius. I mean, his dad was a brilliant man. One day... Philip took his teenage son, Alexander, to go and buy a very famous horse, a very well-known horse. And while this horse was well-trained, but he was also renowned for being a vicious animal, it's very hard to control. The father and the son, together with the other people, as they watch how unmanageable that animal was, Alexander the Great, bright that he was, he saw something nobody else was able to see. He noticed that the horse was frightened of his shadow. And that is why his bucking and he would not let anybody ride him. And so, Alexander the Great immediately turned the horse's face toward the sun, S-U-N. And as long as that 
horse's face toward the light of the sun, he not only was able to mount him, but ride him and keep him under control. He's no longer afraid of his shadow. He can't see his shadow because the shadow had fallen behind. And I thought about this, and I thought about this as I realized how many people today are living in darkness because they're afraid of their shadows. And it is only when you turn your face toward the sun, S-O-N of God, only when you do that day in and day out, moment by moment in your life and in my life, only then we'll see our shadows fall immediately behind us. Jesus said, I am what? And those who come to me, those who keep their eyes focused on me, shall have the light of life. Not only this life, but be assured of eternity in heaven with Him. My beloved friends, uh, whatever darkness you're in today, only you know it. Nobody in this world knows it but you. But God can banish it today. He can banish that darkness today. By turning your face to the light of the world, even Jesus the Christ. Father, back in the 1500s, Archbishop Cranmer wrote these words, O God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. And we thank you that we can come to the light of the world from whom no secret can be hid, no darkness could hide. And as we are open books to you, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and visit every heart that's bowing before you. Let your light shine in us. Father, remind us afresh that your light does not mean to blind us. Your light came to guide us and to lead us and to heal us and to forgive us. And Father, I thank you for every heart that is turning to you even at this very moment because you are a good God and you do not leave yourself without a witness. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.